Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and verse 7. I'll wait for you. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 7. These are the words of Jesus. And he says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you, or done for you. Ask what ye will. Ask what ye will. That's prayer. And this verse elevates prayer to a very important place in bearing fruit for Jesus. And we'll come back to the subject of prayer after a little uh, departure from the subject. But first, we're going to consider Jesus' use of this analogy or this extended metaphor of a vine and its branches. I did a little bit of research about vine training and pruning. And nowadays, uh, vine dressers think of the vine as made up really of three stages of branch. There's the trunk, which is the permanent part of the vine. Then there are uh, a woody, substantial extension of that, that the one who prunes the vine uh, decides what shape he wants the vine to take, and those become like the skeleton for the vine's shape. But then there is the fruit-producing part of the vine, which the vine dressers call shoots. And they're, they're usually the young, they, they're always the youngest part of the vine plant. And uh, they're green, and they're uh, the growth of that particular year. They don't get a chance to get woody, and the vine dresser cuts them off and trims them in order to uh, have the most fruitful vine possible. And um, this is the part of the plant that actually bears the fruit, the shoots, the young shoots. That, that would be us, amen? In Christ's metaphor, we're the shoots, he's the trunk. Now, I don't know if they thought of the vine plants as having three uh, parts to the structure, Jesus refers to only two, the trunk and the shoot. And that's what I'm going to refer to this morning, just the trunk and the shoot. The permanent part of the vine plant, the trunk, and the young part of the vine plant that bears the fruit, that's the shoot. Hallelujah. In Jesus' metaphor, extended metaphor, bearing fruit is a big subject. In verse 2, it says, every branch or shoot in me that does not, uh, does not bear fruit, he takes it away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Fruit, fruit, fruit. Verse 4 says, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Verse 5 says, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. You see that the object here is producing fruit. And verse 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. 
And Jesus uses this analogy, the grapevine, or this extended metaphor, because it's well-suited to the need of Jesus' followers to be productive. We should be productive. You remember when the children of Israel went into the promised land and they sent spies into the promised land and they brought out fruit of the promised land. And do you remember what it was? Grapes. A great big cluster of grapes that was so large they had to thread a pole through it and two men had to carry it. That is a luscious, fruitful vine. Amen? Praise the Lord. Last week, I realized I talked with you out of John 15 here. I've said over the years that if I could only have one 10-verse passage, not 10 verses picked from here and from there, but one passage of only 10 verses in length, if I could only have one out of the whole Bible, it would be John 15, 1 through 10. I still stand by that. Not not 10 individual verses picked from here or there, but a a passage of 10 verses. I think it's all here. It's all here. From salvation to eternal judgment. It's all here. Well, last week I talked to you about the fruit. And in short, my point was that we are called to produce the same fruit that Jesus produced in his life like a vine shoot, like the shoot produces the same fruit that the trunk is purposed and designed to produce. It's all the spreading grape plant. And now the followers of Jesus have brought the faith of Jesus Christ all over the world. Jesus picked for his analogy a very spready kind of plant. It just spreads and spreads, right? The faith has spread all over the world since it was confined to one man, Jesus, and from one man to a select group, and from that group to 10 times more, and from that group to 10 times more, and now it's spread all over the world. But the truth is that it hasn't spread to everyone yet. It's here in central New York, but it hasn't spread to everyone here in central New York yet, right? There's still more spreading to do. There are still more people that really have not heard the good news of how Jesus saves and have not experienced that salvation. Brothers and sisters, we, as the shoots of the trunk, Jesus, are called to produce the same fruit that our Lord produced. We're not called to be better at producing the things of the world. We're not called to be better than the unbelievers at producing the things of this world. We're not in competition with the unbelievers to beat them at their own game. We are not called to beat the unbelievers at their own game. We are called to produce the same fruit that Jesus Christ produced. Jesus' fruit, not unbeliever fruit. 
I'm sure along the way we're going to produce a lot of unbeliever fruit, a lot of this world's fruit. We're going to produce wealth and esteem and power and position and influence and, you know, material uh, uh, prosperity and so on. These things will come along. They're just bound to come along when you're serving the Lord and you've got all the wisdom and the uh, goodness of the Lord in your life. It's going to spill over into these things, but that's not our call. That's not the call of the vine. To be rich, powerful, promoted, influential. It's not the call of the vine. We are, the way I put it last week, we are little Jesuses in this world. That makes us feel uncomfortable perhaps, but I want to tell you, Jesus said it first. We are the young shoots of him who is the trunk. Here's another way to say it. We're the body of Christ. Here to continue his work. Amen? We are called to continue the work of Christ and produce the same fruit that he was called to produce. John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What would that have to do with us? We're not called to moan and groan about the world, what the world is becoming. We're not called to condemn the world. We're not called to tell everybody how we miss the culture of days gone by. We're not called to condemn the world. We're not called to be aghast at the sin of the world. We're not called to keep shaking our heads at the shame of it all. Peter preached the gospel of forgiveness and good news to literally people who weeks before were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The very same people, some of them. And he wasn't just shaking his head and saying, what is becoming of the world and what is becoming of the Jews and what happened to our anticipation of the Messiah? Instead, he revealed the purpose of Jesus coming to redeem them and offer them remission of sins if they would repent. The refreshing that would come from the Spirit of the Lord to the very people who murdered Jesus Christ. Am I telling you the truth? And some of them got saved. And some of them turned around their lives. Amen? John 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. John 17.18 says, As thou hast sent me into the world, this is Jesus talking to the Father, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also send them into the world. Same purpose, brothers and sisters. Can we go to Luke 4, 4, verse 16? Luke 4, 16.
I know this is a familiar passage to many of you, but I want to just refresh your memory. Verse 16 says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, that would be Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. It was really hard to do to find a place because they didn't have chapters and verses in their scrolls. So for him to find this place, just to find it. I mean, you think finding Nahum is difficult? But you can turn to the table of contents. Just to find this place in the moment demonstrates tremendous familiarity with the book of Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He is reading a passage from the book of Isaiah that describes his mission that describes the the fruit objective of the trunk. This is what the trunk was sent to this world to produce. These things, this list. Verse 20 says, and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say unto them this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears brothers and sisters when you start producing the fruit that you are called by God to produce people are going to start looking at you people are going to start paying attention to you you're going to get people's attention you could sit down but they're going to look at you anyway That's all right. You have a mission from God. It's to do the things Jesus did. The shoots of the vine do the things that the trunk of the vine was designed and programmed to do. As little Jesuses, if you will, as the body of Christ, as young branches on the vine. One, preach the gospel to the poor. That's what I see in this list. Preach the gospel to the poor. Don't worry if you're eloquent, brothers and sisters, because the poor really don't care if you're eloquent. In fact, if you are eloquent, you will probably be viewed with suspicion by the poor. So don't worry if you're eloquent. You're stumbling, you're mumbling, your repetitions, your searching for words are just going to endear you to the poor. They're just going to say, oh man, he's real. I like him. He's down to earth. I like what he's saying. Preach the gospel to the poor. We're also called to heal the brokenhearted. People are brokenhearted because the great endeavors of their lives have turned out to be disappointing, empty, wasted, selfish, and they're broken up. They're broken up about it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Amen? 
You are called to give them eternal purposes. You are called to show them that their life is given as a gift from God and that they can use it for God. Amen? You're called to do this, to teach this. You are not called just to coddle the brokenhearted, just to be sympathetic and rub their back because they're in pain. That's not what you're called to do. You are called, along with Jesus Christ, to heal the brokenhearted. Now, somebody that heals get, that's healed gets up off of bed and they go and live, don't they? They, are, they, they uh, rejuvenate and they rehabilitate and they recover and they're restored when they're healed and they go forward and they live. You are not called just to commiserate with the brokenhearted, just to be sympathetic with the brokenhearted, but you are called to enable the brokenhearted to get up from their bed of affliction and go forward in life and live for God. Me? I'm called to do that? You certainly are. If you're attached to Jesus, you are a shoot off the trunk of the vine. And you are called to produce fruit. This fruit. Oh, I, but I have this car and I have that house and I go on these vacations. That's wonderful for you. But th- that is not the fruit that the shoots are called to produce. The shoots are called to produce healing. The shoots are called to produce uh, a shining light of truth, saving truth. He says he was called to proclaim. We are to proclaim with faith that those who are bound in addictions, with hang-ups, with fears of all kinds, they're captives with self-destructive ways that they could find freedom when they surrender to Jesus Christ. We are called to bring that freedom to this world. We are called to bring freedom to the captives. We can't set them free, but our message can, our lives can, our prayer can, and this is bearing fruit for Jesus Christ. We are called to proclaim that all the vision and the foresight that have been lost to people, whether it be that they, it was physically lost, mentally lost, spiritually lost, that their vision can be restored in Jesus Christ. They can once again see what life is about, see what their purpose is, see what direction to go and who to follow. That's what we are called to do for the sight of the blind to be restored. And finally, Jesus talks about the wounded. There are many people in this world that are living bruised, beaten down, hit on, oppressed, abused. And we are called to bring the message to them. You are not called to be someone's doormat. You are not called to be the devil's doormat and have people wipe their dirt all over you. You are called to get up and live in the purpose of God. Brothers and sisters, this is what shoots on the trunk Jesus Christ.
will produce. This is our fruit. Study it. Make no mistake about it. As much as Jesus Christ was called for this mission and anointed for this mission, we are also called to partake of this mission. What do grape shoots produce? Not a trick question. Grape shoots produce grapes. The shoots have the same DNA as the trunk vine. It doesn't branch out from the trunk and just start to produce its own thing. Whatever it wants. It produces what the trunk produces. And I can assure you that your purpose in life is to do the same things that Jesus did. That is your purpose in life. It is the purpose of every one of you. Your spiritual DNA, if you would excuse the analogy, your spiritual DNA is the same as Jesus' spiritual DNA. You are his offspring. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, I am talking about the purpose of your life. Hear me now. I am talking about the purpose of your life. I am not talking about a purpose of your life. I am talking about the purpose of a Christian's life is to do the things that Jesus did. That is the purpose of your life. You say, but well, okay, I must have gotten off track because I've been spending my life chasing after the same things that unbelievers do. And I'm pretty good at it. In fact, I'm better at it than unbelievers are. Yeah, you're right. You are off the track. The purpose of your life is the salvation of souls. It's salvation and healing and deliverance of people. That is the purpose of your life. I thought that was the purpose of a pastor's life. It is but it is also the purpose of every Christian's life. Salvation and healing and deliverance. Amen? Grapevines, the shoots, do not produce apples. Apples are nice fruit. They're good. They're sweet. They're treasured. They're precious. But grapevines produce grapes, not apples. Your prosperity in this world is sweet. It's nice. It's admired. It's sought after. And you will produce much of it, prosperity in this world. You will not be a pauper. You will not be a loser. You will rise. But I will tell you, that's not your problem. Your problem is to produce salvation and healing, and deliverance. Can I hear an amen? That is the purpose of a Christian's life. We are shoots on the trunk, Jesus Christ. Moms and dads, you might think, well, I I am trying to produce salvation, the salvation of my children. Very good. I applaud you, and I support you, and I pray pray that you would have success. That is one of the richest grounds for evangelization that you have right in your own home. 
right in your own home, your own children, your own family, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your fathers, your aunts, your uncles, your extended family. That is a, that is a rich place to go to work for Jesus Christ. Your own children, saving, winning their souls to Christ. Hallelujah. Do it. It's good. A vine is a symbol for God's people that is very common in the Old Testament. I found at least nine passages in the Old Testament where the children of the Lord are compared to a vine. Interestingly, all of them are condemnations to the nation of Israel for not producing better. You know, examples come to your mind too. There's the Song of the Vine in Isaiah chapter 5. There's Psalm 80. There are many passages in in the Word of God that describe God's people as a vine. Use this metaphor. But Jesus here in John 15, in contrast, tells us that by abiding in him, we can produce his good fruit. Grape shoots are called to produce the very same fruit as their source trunk. In truth, if the shoots from the trunk do not produce the good fruit that Jesus describes, especially salvation, healing, deliverance. I'm I'm taking Luke chapter 4, that passage from Isaiah, and I'm, I'm reducing it to three critical fruits. Salvation, healing, and deliverance. If the shoots of a trunk do not produce fruit, you would wonder about the quality of the trunk itself. Is the trunk itself good if the shoots never produce good fruit? Is there something wrong with the trunk? I tell you that it's unthinkable to me to ever suggest or suspect that Jesus is not good. That Jesus is not productive. That Jesus does not produce salvation, healing, and deliverance. That is unthinkable to me to ever suspect the trunk. But how about it, shoots? How about it if we produce more? of the things that Jesus produced. For his glory. So that he would be known. Now you pardon me if I'm loud this morning. I'm just very excited. Jesus is confident that his people will produce salvation and healing and deliverance. As it says in John 15, verse 1, what does he say? I am the vine. No, we missed a word there. I am the true vine. The true vine will produce good fruit. He's a true vine. He's he's reliable. He's steadfast. He's faithful. He's on target. He knows his mission. He's focused. He's powerful. He cares. He's honest. He's got it all. He's the true trunk. Amen? From which salvation 
and healing and deliverance flow. Hallelujah. As promised, I want to talk to you about the importance of prayer. The verse we started with in verse chapter 15, verse 7 says, If ye abide in me... Oh, I'm not in John 15 anymore. Aha. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. I hear, ye shall ask. Jesus leaps out of his extended metaphor here of the, of the trunk and the shoots of the vine plant. And it is somewhat jarring when he jumps out like that. Six verses of an extended metaphor, and we abide in him by following his commands, and he abides in us by spiritually empowering us. But then this verse 7 adds another thing that we may not have seen coming. Prayer. We may not have seen prayer coming. A third thing, in a sense. I'll abide in you, you abide in me, bingo, fruit. But then he throws in this third factor, a new factor that we didn't see in six verses, and that factor is prayer. The vine, we might say, needs fertilizer. The vine is good. In fact, when you're talking about Jesus, there is no better vine. He is the single best vine in existence. He is the perfect trunk. Amen? The shoots are good too. The vineyard keeper has been pruning the the shoots for optimum performance, throwing away the unproductive ones so that the good ones can produce more. That shoots are energetically spreading themselves and the sap is moving from the trunk through the shoots in order to produce salvation and healing and deliverance. Praise God. But the whole thing works much more powerfully when the processes are stimulated and supported by a sort of catalyst. An energizing catalyst. A supercharger for the engine, to borrow uh, uh, a metaphor from my, from my brother Alberto. Prayer. He doesn't say this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will produce much fruit. He doesn't say at the end of this verse, you will do this and that for the glory of God. It doesn't simply repeat the thought of verse 5. Verse 5 says, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. It adds another thing that might surprise us. This prayer, he adds something first. Ye shall ask. Verse 7, ye shall ask. The truth is, if his sap and his life his nutrition and his spirit is flowing through you, you will ask. If you're not asking, you're already half dead. If you're not asking, you're already off track. If you're not asking, you, uh, you know, you're drying up on the, on the trunk. I know what that's like. 
I'll confess to you, I know what that's like. I know what drying up on the trunk is like. I've done my share of drying up over since serving the Lord since 1975 at times for this reason and that reason, but the truth is the reason doesn't even matter. The reason doesn't justify it. If his life is flowing through you, you will be moved to pray. In fact, prayer is an infallible indicator that you are abiding in Christ and that he is abiding in you. You will pray. The fragrant sap will drip from the pores of the lively shoots and the smell of prayer, of that aroma of the, that sap will go up into the nostrils of God. The abiders naturally pray. The spiritual life that is coursing through them does, does not make them feel like, well, prayer is not necessary now. I am just moving in the Lord. I am just filled with the Lord. I am just charged up with the Lord. I just got his spirit moving in me. I feel the vitality of Christ in me, so I don't need to pray. The vitality of Christ will draw them to pray. Jesus prayed. Did anybody have more vitality flowing through him, more vitality of God flowing through him. Jesus prayed, didn't he? He was drawn to prayer. It made him feel called to pray, and it will make us feel called to pray. The shoots of the part of the vine that twists and clings to the structures that the vine workers put up to support it. You know, sometimes they put up a wire, and sometimes they put up a pipe. Sometimes it's a piece of wood, and the vine uh, workers train the plant to follow that that, uh, supportive structure. But the part of the vine that actually grabs onto it and twists around it is the shoot. That's us praying, twisting ourselves around Christ and his word clinging to the promises and the missions of God. I know you're thinking, Brother Brian, you are just so mission-oriented in the last six months that you just talk. Mission, mission, mission for, for Christians. Brothers and sisters, I can't help it. It is the purpose of our lives. The purpose of our lives is not to be happy. It's not to be comfortable. It's not to be safe. The purpose of our lives is salvation and healing and deliverance for others. One Hebrew word for prayer means to argue or intercede like a lawyer does for for a client in the court. Intercede for someone in prayer. Another Hebrew word for prayer means to twist. We're called to pray with all of our hearts for the things we cannot let go of. I cannot let go of this soul in prayer. I cannot let go of this healing in prayer. I've got to pray for it and pray for it and pray for it. I'm clinging to it. I'm twisted around it. You know how those shoots of the vine plant, they, they just will go around and around and around this, the structures that the vine workers set up for them. Jacob clinging 
to the angel of God for a blessing. We are called to not let go when it comes to the salvation of a soul, the healing of the sick, the deliverance of the captive. Don't let go. Oh, I thought this was all just going to happen naturally as I abide in him and he abides in you. Oh, but then Jesus throws something in there that perhaps you weren't expecting. Ask what you will. Pray. Jim Simbala, the lead pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, makes the point you can't measure the health of a church by its Sunday morning service. You measure the health of a church by its prayer service. By its prayer service. Oh, we can get them to come Sunday morning. Wow, those singers, they're talented. That orchestra, it's full. That beat is so invigorating. Brother Brian even looks a little more presentable. But you could actually really judge the health of a church when you say, okay, Tuesday night we're going to get together for prayer. What are we going to do? We're just going to pray. Got a lot of things to pray about. We'll encourage each other and support each other. Like Jesus asked his three friends, come with me and join with me and watch with me in prayer for a while. We'll come and we'll join together and we'll watch with each other. We'll work with each other. We'll pray together. We'll support each other and encourage each other in prayer. But that's all we're going to do. We're just going to come and we're going to pray. Then you get attendance, what, 25%? 20%? 15%? The second week lasts. The third week lasts. Jim Simbala says that's how you can judge the health of a church. James 4, 2 says, Ye have not because ye ask not. We will see more salvations, more healings, and more deliverance if we pray. We must pray for them. For those who are abiding in Christ, you could uh, give them Psalm 27, 8. It said, When thou said, Seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, I will seek. Jesus says, Ask what ye will. Amazing. Tell me, that's not amazing. Ask what ye will. It's almost hard to believe, isn't it? We're going to ask what we will. We are asked to participate in this. We're not asked to get to the sidelines while the star, Jesus, does it all by himself. I know that my work in Christ is depending on my prayer. Jesus will refuse to do it all for us, in fact. He wants to see that we're engaged. He wants to see that we care. He wants us to participate and to care, to have heart. He doesn't want to hear from us, oh Lord, I I don't want to play. I don't belong out there on the court. I don't belong out there in the light. I don't belong out there in where there's attention. I just want to, you know, disappear here off stage, in the sidelines, on the bench, in the corner, anonymous. I'm, I'm nobody. No, he wants you to participate. This is for all the shoots. 
This is for all those who are connected to Christ. This is for all those who are abiding in Christ. He wants you to participate. He wants you to care. He wants you to desire it. He wants you to have desire in your heart. He wants you to care for other people. He wants you to care to see salvations. He wants you to care to see healings. He doesn't want you to just pine over it. Where are all the healings? Where's Brother Brian's gift of healings? I don't have it. Have I ever had it? I don't have the gift of healing. I'll tell you that. I've prayed for many, many people that have been healed over the years. But I'm telling you, it's like once a month. It's like once every two months sometimes. Pray for somebody and they're healed. I don't call that a gift of healing. I call that, that's what believers are supposed to do. But I will tell you, I know the difference between head faith and heart faith. There's a difference between the two. And I know when I have head faith, that's faith I have because it's my duty to have it. I'm supposed to have it. I've been taught to have it. I've read in the word of God I should have it. That's head faith. But head faith doesn't work like heart faith. Heart faith is like when you just take it in and it's there. You didn't produce it. You didn't make it happen. You didn't ordain it. You didn't cause it. It's just there. God is with you. You can make the proclamation. You're healed. It's going to be. You won't doubt. You won't worry if you're making a mistake. You just say that's the way it is and that's the way it is. That's heart faith. You think, brothers and sisters, where's that going to come from? You got to pray. You got to pray. You got to ask what you will. You waiting around for the will of God? Since when did you become a Calvinist? I didn't think you were Calvinists. You're waiting around for the will of God? Jesus said, Ask what ye will. That's not Calvinism. Ask what ye will. What do you want? What do you care about? Where's your heart at? What's your zeal about? Where's your enthusiasm about? What salvation are you fired up about? What healing do you want desperately? What deliverance do you want to see the Lord do? Say what you want. I want a mansion. Oh, you're not inviting in Christ, that's all. I want a Ferrari. Uh, You're not abiding in Christ. Abide in Christ and his word in you and ask what you will because your heart will be given over to his purposes. You'll want what he wants. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Read the first part of the verse along with the second part. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But first, you've got to delight yourself in him. He doesn't only want to ab- you to abide in the understanding that he cares. He wants to hear from you that you care. Brothers and sisters, don't think Jesus says anything he doesn't mean. Do you want to lead somebody to Christ this year? I don't mean, I don't mean just to recite the sinner's prayer with somebody at a bus stop and never see them again. I don't know if that person got saved. And you don't either. 
I'm talking about praying with somebody, getting to know somebody, somebody getting established in Christ, somebody starting to take root in the Lord. Wouldn't you like that to happen this year? Wouldn't you like to lead somebody to Christ this year? Wouldn't you like to see somebody latch on and become a disciple of Jesus Christ this year? I'll tell you what, you're going to have to pray. You need to pray. How much will you pray for it? How much do you want it? Because Jesus says, ask what ye will. Do you want to lay hands on somebody this year and see them delivered from a terrible physical malady? How much prayer is it worth to see that happen? I say, a lot of prayer. That is really worth it. That's worth a lot. That's worth getting prayed up about. That's ready getting to get ready for. And you say, I'm a bit uncomfortable. You're putting an awful lot on us. No, I'm not. Jesus is. Ask what ye will. Jesus is putting it on you. And I feel it too. I feel it on me too. We need to see more healings in this church. We need to see more deliverances in this church. We need to make new stories instead of retelling the old. Amen? We need to see salvations. We need to see more salvations taking place. You who have never led a soul to Christ can lead a soul to Christ this year. This year. But it's going to take some prayer. So I invite you to come up. Singers, don't bother. We're going to pray, not sing. I invite you to come up, get out of your seats, come and join together in prayer. We know how to do it at camp meetings. Well, once a year is not enough. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I pray that you're encouraged and that you're, you want to abide in Christ, and meaning also abide in prayer, continue in prayer. You know, it's not just about one altar call. It's about continuing in prayer. Amen? I'll read you the last paragraph of my notes, if I could. Whatever you need is already found in Christ, the trunk. Do you need spiritual gifting? Go to your Lord's anointing. Do you seek holiness? Go to your Lord's example. Do you desire pardon of sin? Look to your Lord's blood. Do you need to put to death fleshly temptations? Look to his crucifixion. Do you need to be buried to bury worldly ambitions? Go to his tomb. Do you need the hope of heaven to be quickened within you? Behold his resurrection. Would you rise above fear and stress? Observe his ascension into heaven. Do you need heaven's eternal perspectives? Remember him seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember in all things that he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. I see clearly why the sprout gets all it wants while it abides in the trunk. Everything the sprout wants is already in the trunk. 
and is there for the sake of the sprout. What could the sprout want other than what the trunk can give it? So I pray a blessing on you and God's grace and help on you and with you that you would be fruitful in Christ in this holiday season and in the coming year that God would use you as his hand extended for salvation and for healing and for deliverance. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you.